You're listening to Game Changers with Steve Tresler. Game Changers is produced by Chris Bryant. Hey, welcome to Game Changers with Steve Tressler. I'm Steve Tressler. Uh, today is Wednesday, September 27th, 2023. The guest today on the podcast, Willie Blakemore Ray. Willie was born January 21st, 1966. He is a former pro athlete, U.S. alternate on the Olympic team for bobsledding, and a personal trainer, and really he, he goes by a personal training coach here in Kentucky, and he's been doing that for the better part of four decades now. Uh, Willie, thanks for being here, man. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for being patient with us here as we got this going. Uh, but first of all, let's start at the beginning. You you grew up in Detroit, born January 21st, and what's your what's your mom and dad's name? Tell me about your, your parents. Well, my mom, her name is Carolyn Ann Ray. Um, the other person... <laughs> Uh, I just got to include him. Uh, his name is uh, Albert Richardson. And so I was uh, brought up basically by a single parent, you know, which was my, you know, my mom. I've called her my OG because she is, she was my rock. Uh, she was mom and dad, right? Yeah, she was mom and dad, you yeah. know. So I've watched her struggle over the years. Uh, she had me at a young age. She had me at uh, 17. She got pregnant with me, I believe, at 16. So, you know, she was, uh, expe- you know, wasn't expelled from school. She was kicked out of school because she was pregnant because back then you weren't allowed to go to school once you're pregnant. So, you know, times change now. So uh, after she had me, she wanted to finish, so she got her GED and she had to go right to work. So she worked at a, as an elevator operator at Hudson's, which is like Macy's pretty much. And then um, my grandma, my great-grandma they you know watched me while she went to work and she went to school and get her GED then um, later on throughout the years she ended up working at um, Henry Ford Hospital which is like right down the street from where we uh, where we used to live because uh, Hudson's was downtown downtown Detroit Mm -hmm. and so you grew up uh, in Detroit Motown did you grow up listening to mom grow up listening to music and and make you listen to it well, How far did you grow up from uh, Hitsville, USA? Man, Hitsville was down the street from, it's not down the street. I would say it was probably like maybe a mile from where we lived. That's down the street to me. So, yeah. So, certain areas, because Hit, you know, Hitsville was like on West Grand Boulevard, which is one of the main streets. But then you have all the other, all the other streets, all the other neighborhoods and stuff like that. Um, that's in that area. But uh, we lived... Me and my, you think, you know, me and my mom, we moved a lot, you know. So we, I'd say probably sometimes uh, out of a year, we move four or five times out of a year, wow. you know. So we moved here. And how, how long and, did that go on? Uh, it went on for a little bit, you know, because you know, her being a single mom and just trying to make ends meet, trying to make ends meet together was it was a struggle, you know. And I watched her struggle. And you know, when she would, when I would want something, she would make sure I, I would have, and I didn't go without. But you know, a lot of times, you know, we had to go without. You know, we had to, you know, our heat get turned off in the winter, or you know, something like that, and we had to wait until, you know, we got, you know, she got the money to turn it back on. So I watched her struggle a lot, man. And 
And that was one thing, you know, me coming up, you know, I said I, didn't, I would never want my daughter to struggle that way or my kids to struggle that way. So that was my main objective was to, you know, go to school uh, and try and go pro, you know, so I can take care of her. But, you know, um, she, watching her struggle, man, it instilled a lot of things in me that a lot of these kids nowadays take for granted and they, you know, just, just abuse and disrespect their parents. Oh, yeah, right. So, you know, back then, you know, your, your parents could take authority and, and discipline you like they should, which will help you become a better, better person growing up. But I guess, you know, society and, and, you know, things like that dictate what parents can do and what they can't do, you know, nowadays. So it's like kids just run over their parents. So you graduated high school in Detroit, 1985. Mm -hmm. And what sports did you play? And obviously football was the main one because mm -hmm. you got scholarship offers. Yeah, football and track. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you got a scholarship uh, to play football at Kentucky State University. No, actually, actually, um, when I was playing, I got offers from University of Michigan, Kansas, IU, wow. uh, Nebraska, a few other schools, Central Michigan. But my mom thought I was going to go IU because I got everything from them except a plane ticket. Wow. So Coach Bill Mallory was the head coach back then, and I was getting letters, I mean, like almost every day from them. And then I got hurt the fourth game of my senior year, and all of those offers just because I was a preseason All-American receiver. So all those offers were pretty much – I didn't get let, no letters after that. Wow. I mean, just I still got – oh, it was – it was oh, it crushing yeah, it be because I'm like pumped, like, yeah, I'm getting, I'm going to IU, you know, and I'm getting, I got some from UC, um, and, but my heart was going to go to IU because I just wanted to go to be a Hoosier. So I'm like, I'm going to Indiana, be a Hoosier. And then I guess, you know, once they found out that, because I was competing against another guy named Stanford Blue from a school called, it was called uh, Henry Ford High School. And him and I, we were kind of competing, so I had led, I had led the uh, state in receiving, and then once I got injured, it was like no more. You didn't hear about my name no more. So um, there was the fourth game. I still got honors as far as like all city honorable mention, but you know a few schools came. I had like a big old because I had a knee injury. I had a torn ACL, so I had a big old brace on my knee. Nowadays that would be nothing, but mm -mm. in the, the mid '80s that, uh, was, that was a killer. Yeah, so. Um, the Detroit Lions doctor, Dr. Collins, he did surgery and he just cleaned it, scoped it. And so I went out around with an out of ACL, strengthened it up. And then later on, um, you know, I just didn't have nothing, no offers. I went to a few um, like uh, small schools to visit, but you know, I didn't have the SAT or the ACT scores to get in. And I don't even think they had Prop 48s back then, really. So I ended up sitting out, but you know, I just knew that I knew that I knew I was going to play somewhere, yeah. you know. So um, my uh, my mom, she you know helped her, you know I helped her out when she you know worked, and I went to work, and um, we both worked at the same hospital. So she already worked at Henry Ford Hospital. Yeah. She got me a job there, so I worked, you know, helped out at home. Then she ended up getting sick. And I uh, had to take care of her, and my grandma helped me take care of her. Then pretty much after that, um, after she passed, you know, my buddy, oh, he so was a... Now, so 
your grandma got your mother got sick mm -hmm. and you went from that to she passed so, so what happened how old were you and, and what was when she on? passed i was uh i was about 20 about 21. And so what was, what was it cancer it was cancer yeah oh man what, she had cancer? liver cancer because at first she got she got got sick and she had to have immediate surgery because she had a blockage in her bile ducts so she had immediate surgery they removed that and um, she recovered pretty quick went back to work said about maybe six months later uh, it came back in in the form of liver cancer so you and know that, that had to destroy your entire world that was uh, everything Oh man, it's it, yeah. The dad, the OG, the oh yeah, it crumbled me, man. I didn't. It was, I couldn't think of. Uh, I couldn't even think about depression. Couldn't even, you know, most people go into depression and just couldn't do nothing. But just I had, I had to work. You know, I had to work. And I had to take care of her. So I would take her to radiation and chemo, and then take her over to my grandma's, and then go to work. And then when I get off work, I go go to my grandma's, pick her up. And we go home. Yeah, you grew up quick, so, man. oh yeah. And so I watched her, man, just deteriorate. And then it got to the point to where she couldn't really keep herself up, hold a glass up, or anything like that. So I told my grandma, I said, "We, so I, I gotta, we gotta do something because she's getting worse. I don't want to admit her, but it's nothing I can do." So we had to admit her, and you know, it's just, it was just a process, man, to where, you know, it was seeing my mom how strong she was to seeing her, she couldn't, she couldn't fight. So, um, you know, I prayed and prayed and prayed over her, laid hands on her, everything, man. And just, it was, you know, she just didn't want to fight no more. Um, when you look back on it, when, when you see how much pain that she was in, do you realize that maybe her passing was really a, a great sense of relief to her maybe? Because she was in so much pain? Yeah. As much as it hurt you to yeah. let her go? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I knew she, she knew she was going to be in a better place. Yeah. You know, uh, good thing about it, she recommitted herself to Christ uh, in church with me one Sunday when we went to church. So I was pumped about that. So she rededicated herself to Christ, man. And uh, that was good because, you know, I would go to church every Sunday and she didn't want to really go with me. I used to, you know, ask her to go and ask her why she won't go, but she wasn't ready, but when she got ready, she went to church with me, rededicated her life to Christ, you know, rededicated her life to Christ, man, and you know, and just made a new beginning. And then I know, like I said, now I know she, she I know where she is, and her, you know, she's in a, a better place, man. She's just no more sickness, no no more disease, mm -hmm. so she's 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 living a good life now. Yeah, you know, every single mother is going to have a place in heaven, as far as I'm concerned. That's it's yeah, just, it's not easy. Uh, I can't imagine, even today with the economy the way it is, Willie, mm -hmm. I can't imagine how these moms are surviving that are single moms right now. I mean, you know, I'm married, I have a wife and three kids, and, you know, we struggle. So I mm -hmm. can't imagine what it's like for a single mom. Um, so you're 21 years old. Um, it's 1987. How do you go from that, uh, the passing of your mom in Detroit, Michigan, to becoming a football player at Kentucky State University, playing for the Thoroughbreds in Frankfurt? Well, I uh, one, it was one morning, my boys, two of my buddies that were already in college, uh, George was at Central Michigan, uh, Charles was at K-State. So they came by my house one morning, I was asleep, and they was like, dude, you know, what you, what you still doing home, dog? And I'm like, man, I'm, I said, I wanna go off and play somewhere. And he was like, I tell, my, I tell Coach Boyd about you, 
and uh, see what he says. So he told, I guess he gave, uh, put in a word, and Coach Boyd called me on Thanksgiving morning, woke me up. I remember that day, plain as day, man. Thanksgiving morning, sleep. And uh, this was this was the spring. It was the the winter of '87. So Thanksgiving, yeah. Okay. And so he asked if I wanted to come play football, defensive back, and I'm like, defensive back. I'm like, man, I'm a receiver, and I'm like, yeah, I'll play. And so I was, I tried to, I was going to a community college at home, just to, you know, to go to school, take some hours, and but there was no sports there. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, no. So you're just going for the academics. Yeah. Okay. And so um, he said. Um, Let's see if we can get you in the spring, the spring of 88. So me and Chuck, we drive down to KSU, load up, load up my ride, and we drive down there to try and, you know, try and get me enrolled and everything else. I met all the coaches, some of the players, and I, I couldn't get enrolled because I didn't have enough transferable credit hours. So I had to come back, and I took 15 you know, credit hours at my uh, community college, and then I came out, attended, and... No, no, let me get that right. It was the winter of 88, and I tried to get in in the spring of 89. Yeah, spring of 89, I couldn't, so I got in in the fall of 89. Okay. And that's when I came, because my mom passed in September. She died September uh, 18th, which was 10 10 days after her birthday. Mm -hmm. So I tried to get in in the spring of 89, and I couldn't, so I came back. Uh, went back to McKinney Community College, and I took those, got back in in the fall of '89, and it was it was different, man, coming to Kentucky from Detroit. Really, yeah. Frankfort was di- it was different. Oh uh, yeah, it's a culture shock, man. <laughs> you think so? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had people waving at me. I'm driving down the street, and people that. waving. I'm like. I ain't used to that, you know. You... Hey, man, look, I, you have to tell me I was from Lexington, and then I moved to Cincinnati, and that was a culture shock. But then I joined the Marines. I was in uh, in L.A., mm. and people would pass me on the street, and I was like, hey, how you doing? Man, I don't know you. you know, yeah, just, yeah. Like, they're ready to fight me because <laughs> yeah. I said hi, and I, you know, I didn't get it. Yeah, But yeah. here, you know, you flip it, and mm-hmm. for you, people saying hi out of nowhere, yeah. it, it puts you on, like, yeah. it kind of puts you on defense. Like, yeah. Like, what do you need from me? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I told my boy, I'm like, man, I'm used to people waving their guns and, you know, something like that. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, oh, man, people are nice here. You get used to it. I'm like, all right, okay. You have to get used to being, yeah. people being nice. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. And I didn't know that Frankfurt was the capital of oh, Kentucky. Wow. Yeah. So I'm, we driving here and I'm like, dude, I'm like, how much longer we got? Because we're taking the interstate 75 from Detroit all the way here to 64. I'm like, how much longer we got? He's like, man, we got about five hours. I'm like, are you kidding? I'm like, God, this is the yeah. longest drive ever. So we finally get here, man, and it and was just. There, there's an old joke, Willie. It's, it's how do you pronounce the capital of Kentucky? Do you say Louisville or Louisville? I say Louisville. It's I say Louisville. But you, it's Frankfurt. So that's the joke you try oh to learn. Oh, my it. God. You say Louisville or Louisville, and they go, oh, it's Louisville. You go, no, it's Frankfurt. So that's the old joke. Well, go ahead. <laughs> Just to mess with people, right? So, um, so you finally get here. The mm-hmm. long drive is over. Mm-hmm. You're on campus. Uh, and what was your initial thought, you know, getting I thought it state? was, well, when coming here, I thought it was cool, man. I was small campus. I liked it a lot. But, I mean, I just had, 
I didn't care. I just had one objective, man. My whole objective was I'm here for three reasons. Be the first generation to graduate from college, play football and go pro. That's it. Yeah. That was it, man. That was my whole, that was all I wanted. But I had some other things, you know, you know, I was granted some other stuff at KSU. I was the first Mr. Kentucky State. Um, I was the first to go and represent the school at uh, the first collegiate African-American pageant for the school. Mm -hmm. um, I was in, that was, I got um, recognition so for, for when, that. What year was the first Mr. Kentucky State? It was in 90, 91, 91, 92. Okay. And I was nominated by Dr. Mary L. Smith and Miss Betty Gibson. She was a, Mary Smith was the president back yeah, then. Because yeah. I, I was walking around going to campus, on going to walk into my class on campus, and she called, they got, I got called to the president's office. So, you know, you get called to the president's office, you're like, am I in trouble? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I ain't done nothing. I'm, I'm thinking of stuff. What did I do this week? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I ain't getting trouble on the field or nothing. Yeah. So yeah. I go up to the office and have me sit down and she said, you know, she just basically said, we notice how you well you carry yourself. You never get in trouble. You don't do this. You don't do that. You represent yourself well, your football team, what you do. We want to know if you'd be willing to represent the school as the first Mr. Cashew. That's great. So I'm like, oh, wow. So then it was a pageant. The contest was at Prairie View A&M University, which was like two weeks later. So I had to, it was like three weeks later. So I had to prep for that because I had to prep for what I'm wearing, my talent and all that stuff. We got another Mr. Cashew that's going to be on this thing too. Lacunta Maximus mm -hmm. Farmer. Yeah. So Lacunta will be on uh, next season, but that's awesome. That's okay. awesome. You're the first one. Um, so you, you graduate from K-State. Any honors coming out of there? Well, the thing is, I, I didn't graduate until 2000. And I came back to get my degree in 2006 mm -hmm. because I left my last semester uh, open because I had that opportunity to go play. Right. You, and, uh, you got an offer to play arena, arena football. football. Yeah, I got Talk a, about that. You went well, from being a college student to being a pro athlete, getting paid to play, and it, the, the money for a guy that grew up in mm -hmm. the ghetto – was just too much at that point, right? You just mm -hmm. you wanted some money. Right, uh, yeah, I wanted to the get the right way. Yeah, I wanted the right yeah. way. So I mean, um, we it was during the, the winter of uh, I think it was ninety ninety three. Yeah, it was ninety three, and I came back from home, back home, back from Detroit from that winter, and just got a phone call. Uh, coach was like, "Hey." Congratulations, you and Juan, y'all just got uh, picked up by the Milwaukee Mustangs under Coach Lou Saban, oh, wow. who, I mean, who was a legendary coach. I mean, yeah. he coached O.J. Simpson when he broke that rushing record yeah, at Buffalo. the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, yeah. so it was. Yeah. Isn't he the father of Nick Saban? I'm not sure if he is or not. I think they're like cousins or something. Okay. So I'm not sure. I thought he was. Uh, I'm going to have to look that up. Okay, go ahead. But it was, it was, that was an honor because I know he was a, you know, a legendary coach. Yeah. So I get there, man, and you know it was, it was fun. It was good, and I ended up getting injured. Uh, same knee injury, and then um, after that, I had, um, you know, he put me on a waiver, and you know because I was out for two weeks, and me sitting out for two solid weeks was like I was watching every every player get cut, 
you know, oh, because in, in arena ball, you know, they bringing them in. So I'm sitting in the bleachers with a crowd cuff on my knee, just sitting up in the bleachers. And I mean, athletes getting cut. Some were coming from the from the NFL plan. And so I told my athletic trainer because the athletic trainer and the GM, the GM was Chris Balazzi, a young kid. They used to own Scott toilet paper. They sold that. So this kid was 22 years old. He's a GM of an arena football team. So his, his dad pretty much got him that. And so um, the GM, and not the GM, but the uh, athletic trainer and the ortho surgeon um, didn't want them to sign me because, you know, I had like a scar on my shoulder from where I fell off my bike. Then here I have like a cut here and a cut here from where my high school when I had surgery. So they x-rayed that, x-rayed this. And so when they saw the x-rayed that, they said, I wouldn't sign it. So Coach Saban said, you know, you see this kid's film? You know, we need to have him on the squad. Yeah. So he over, you know, he override that. They end up signing me. So I ended up getting hurt at practice. So I came back to Kentucky. He, he was going to bring me back. And about to. Hold it real quick. Uh, Chris Bryant, my producer, just sent me a note. Uh, Lou Saban, you're right. They were distant cousins mm -hmm. uh, with, with Nick Saban. Mm -hmm. uh, Lou, it's funny that you were rooted so heavily by IU because that's where Lou Saban played his college. Oh, really? He, uh, he started as a player at IU, but go ahead. That's sweet. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's so, good. So yeah. you, um, you get cut. You come back. Um, yeah, because one thing he said to me, because I'm coming back and I'm running my patterns, routes, and stuff. He's sitting in a stands watching me so he calls me over and he's like you know do you think you can go out there and play and not think about your knee and i'm like man he was like be honest with me so i said nah not really he said look i'm not cutting you i'm putting you on a waiver because i want to bring you back he said i want you to go get in shape because you've been out of shape for two weeks you've been out for two weeks he said you come back in shape i'm bringing you back and you're going to be starting well, so oh yeah and so um because my partner, Juan, he ended up being one of the coaches there because he got hurt. And so I came back home and had my um, athletic trainer, Sherry McNew. Um, she works at UK now, I think. And um, she rehabbed me, got me back. I called him back up, and my boy Juan tells me he quit because the general manager tried to tell him how to coach during one of the games. So he got mad and quit. So that was my contact. So after that, I waited. I was, you know, I was around for about a couple weeks. Then I had another opportunity to go play overseas. So I end up, we end up joining up with this owner. He owned Turner, uh, Turner Industries, which is in Western Kentucky. It's like a big old T-shirt factory. Now, did your agent get these tryouts for you at the time? I, back then, I did that. Um, it was all on me. Wow. Okay. I marketed myself. That's see, back then we didn't have, you didn't have huddle films and you didn't have yeah. this me and my me and my me and my boy we did our own videos splat you know cut the videos that, that's when we had the vhs yeah. cut them put music on them and we just send them yeah. send them out you know send them to agents and stuff and and then uh, i got went overseas played for the uh, usa all-stars that was a team that it was a league they were going to start overseas like in hong kong manila osaka places like that and so um, we, we were over, it, over in uh, Taipei, Taiwan for a little bit, then came back to the state. I got hurt over there again. 
Then when I got came back, I picked up an agent. And so my agent, um, you know, he signed me up. He was out of California. And so once I, when I came back home, I ended up having surgery, knee surgery. So when I had knee surgery, after I had knee surgery, my agent got me a tryout with the Carolina Panthers. This is when they first came out. I had a tryout with them in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and that was back in April. I had um, ACL replacement in December, December 24th of, I think it was uh, 19, what year was it? I think it was 1990, 1996, 95, I think it was 95. And so um, then um, he told me, he said, I got you an NFL tryout with the Carolina so he said, I was like, when is it? And it was in April, and I just had ACL reconstruction. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I told, I told my physical therapist, and I said, do you think I got enough time to get ready? So he talked to Dr. Ireland, because she did my surgery here in Lexington. And she said, you can go for it. So we, we worked, bust my butt, got me ready. And I did well, went to camp, when I went to camp, you know, I had to take a physical all over again, and the physical didn't look, that, that didn't look good. X-rays didn't look good. So it's, you know, because one thing that he said that he, I had against me was my age. And, you know, basically, I mean, I ran a 4.2540 when I got clocked in the 40, but he's like, my age and my injury. Yeah, and stop using, like, yeah, stopwatches. Yeah. So my it's age, yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So it's, you know, because they said, one, you'll be a liability. Two, they're not going to invest money in you when they can invest money in a 21, 21 or 22-year-old guy that's healthy. So, you know, I just had to take the bump. So when, you know, I didn't make it, you know, honestly, I went through a depression, man. I didn't watch football for about five years. Didn't watch it on TV. Every time it came on, I turned it off. Yeah. Didn't watch it for a while. You get that close, and mm -hmm. you feel like you get burned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. My, my best 40 time was 4.8. That was four hours, eight minutes. All right. So <laughs> we, go from, <laughs> we go from almost making it to the NFL, and it wasn't just the Panthers. There's a few other teams you had tryouts with. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you, you, you just, you're the last one to get cut. You get burned. Now – how did you go from that to being part of the U.S. Olympic team, uh, the alternate squad for the bobsled team? How, mm. I mean, I know you're from Michigan, but yeah. how much bobsledding did you did you do? None, dude. None. It I mean, four two five, wasn't it? It helped, but man, it's just uh, one of my buddies I played overseas with. Um, his name is Mike Morris. He he called me up, and I was working at Ford's. Because remember, I'd be outside I pushing. I remember you telling yeah. me you were going yeah. for this tryout for yeah. the Olympic mm. bobsled team, and I was teasing you about being the life version of Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings, yeah. Like the real life yeah. version. <laughs> and I said, man, what'd you do? Watch Cool Runnings last night? Yeah. You going to try out for this team? Yeah. And you start laughing, like, no, man, for real. But how did it come about? So he called me up, man. He and called me. That was early 2000s, right? It was 2005. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He called me up. And he said, man, I don't know why I didn't think of you, but he's like, uh, a guy here in Lake Placid, his name is Kyle Meadows, and he used to run for Santa Monica Track Club with Carl Lewis. Mm -hmm. So he was living up in Lake Placid, and he said he's trying to start an all-black bobsled team. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And he's like, you know, would you be, I gave him your name, would you be interested? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, heck yeah. So um, he got in touch with me. He flew me up to Lake Placid. And um, we started uh, working on the dry track, just pushing on the dry track. And, you know, he was kind of shocked because I caught on quick. And he just had to tweak a little, you know, a few things. But I was like, kind of like a weekend warrior because I would go up there twice a month. I leave on Thursday, come back on Sunday. And a lot of those guys up there are sponsored by like Army, Navy, the Marines. And they live up on, they live at the Olympic Training Center, which is like kind of like a dorm, a campus. Yeah. So, you know, they got rooms and all that stuff. So they actually live there and that's what they do, you know, every day. Yeah. They go down there, hit their strength training, hit the dry track, hit the track. Uh, so that's what they do. So I went up there and when I hit the, when I started hitting the ice, I'm a little experienced. So we had a, the, my driver, the first driver, um, he was, uh, he was from, he went to Georgia Tech. He was a track athlete from Georgia Tech. And um, I pushed for him and we did, we did pretty good because we were out pushing like Steve Holcomb and knew who was the number one pusher in the world. He was the number one driver in the world. We were, I was putting up some scores. We were, it was a two-man sled and I was the brake man. So we were putting up some score. I was nervous, really nervous, because the first time we get off and we pushing and he's- That's scary, he, man. That oh, but it's, it's fun as heck, dude. I'm sure it is. It's fun. Ahead. Yeah, and so first time I'd get in, I spiked him because the spikes got like little tiny spikes on them. So I spiked him. Just and he's, to grip the ice with. Yeah, he's yeah. elbowing me. So I had to tuck in real good. And, you know, because we're tucking like this. So we have to move as we hit the curves a certain way. So the second time I jump in, almost jumped in without him. And they said, you know, make sure you wait for your driver to get in first. Because <laughs> I was just, I was nervous, man. Yeah. But it was third time we put up some good numbers. And then I did push for uh, John Napier, who was, he was like the number three driver in the world. And, and then um, after that, we went, uh, we went to... Uh, if you ever see me in a bobsled, call 911, because something's going terribly wrong where I ended up in that thing. Okay, so just do me that favor. Go ahead. <laughs> so you ended up what? <laughs> That's just going to be cataclysmic when that thing goes down and me in it. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So um, we end up, uh, after we had, I did get a bronze medal in the New York Empire State Games. Mm. So we, we got like third. And then after that, we had the uh, Olympic trials. So the Olympic trials were held in Calgary, Alberta. And that was like a whole week, eight days of, I mean, you got guys, I mean, these guys are a beast. Yeah, they're real. Oh, uh, I mean, it's yeah. like we're, cause Calgary, Alberta was the only place that had the indoor ice track. So they had an indoor facility that was out of this world. They had an indoor track, indoor hockey ring, indoor track where you could go upstairs. We had to do our 30, our flying 30, our flying 60. And so the first day I um, pulled my hamstring. You know, I pulled like way up here during the sprint test. So I asked the coach, I said, you know, could I just chill and get ready for my push test? So the push test was on Wednesday. So I got some PT. And they did the the tool instruments to just uh, the you know to get the get that get the loose. So um, so when the push test came, 
And we just had to push. The pushers had to push from the back so the drivers can get an idea, okay, we want him, you know, we want him to be up one of our pushers. So on this side, on the push test, as soon as I push off, I tore it. Oh, no. So I was done. So I pushed the sled all the way down, jumped in it. It rolled up to the top of the, top of the crest, rolled back down. I hopped out of it because usually we have to hop out of it and just roll it back up to the top. So I just told him I was done. So just for the eight days, the rest of the week, you know, I'm watching them. So I had to call my chiropractor and my physical therapist and my massage therapist and my wife and tell them that, you know, I didn't, I didn't make it. So that was, it was kind of like another, another moment that say, you know, I almost made it, but I didn't make it. You know what I'm saying? It's like but when- to me, it's, you're in the conversation. And, I'm, you know, I, when you look at it the way you do, see, I'm looking at it as you're in that conversation as to almost making it. And mm-hmm. there's millions of athletes who come through that aren't even a part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you're at least a thought. You may be a fleeting or passing mm-hmm. thought, but you're a thought. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've seen so many athletes that they're not even... They're not even they're they're not even taken seriously enough to be part of that conversation. Yeah, and to me that is a huge feather in your cap because people know how good you are, but also how serious you take your your craft and what you do. Yeah, and that that's that's to me that's just incredible. Um, we're going to transition into how you eventually became a a pro bodybuilder, all natural at that. Mm-hmm. Um, your powerlifting, and then talk a little bit about um, what happened afterwards as you you, you ended up getting your, your Bachelor of Science, mm-hmm. and then you started training full-time. Um, but real quick, five questions here. Uh, what's your favorite food when you're not dieting? Shoot, man, I ain't diet for, I ain't having diet in so long. Dude, I, I tell you, man, I, Cheeseburgers and fries. All right, cheeseburgers and fries. Almost, I like sweets too. Okay, you, okay. Cheeseburger fries. Food. I mean, I just say food, man. F- 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 just pizza. Yeah. I mean, I eat it all. Okay. Um, give me your favorite movie. Rocky. Okay. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me see. The one I've been watching. The, the one I watch the most. See me and I say me. Let me see. I probably say Rocky, Rocky and Creed. Creed's great. Yeah, that's yeah. a great spinoff. They've done. Yeah. They've done really good with that. Yeah. Um, favorite musician, or favorite musical group, or uh, they don't even have rap groups anymore. They just have rappers today. Yeah. Like rap groups are a thing of the past. Mm-hmm. But like, give me your favorite musician, or favorite group. Uh. Man, I, usually I don't have just one musician I listen to or one group. Um, I listen to a, a lot of stuff. Uh, I like jazz a lot. Jazz, I like jazz. Um, I like, uh, like in my facility, you know, I might turn it on a little hip hop, just a mixture of stuff. Um, If, I, I usually like... If you're in your car and you put on music, what is it? I usually listen to my um, my prime my prime radio because I got my, my playlist. Okay. 
Give me a couple people on that playlist. Uh, let me see. Vice versa is one. Okay. Um, what's another one? I like I like, I like Tupac. I like some of Snoop stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So got that. Give me your childhood sports hero. Lynn Swan. Lynn Swan, really? Yeah. So were you a were you a big Steelers fan? Yeah. So grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. But a Steelers fan. Man, I, I used to try and emulate myself after Lynn Swan. I took that's not, that's not I, when I found out he took when I found out he took ballet, I took ballet before I came to K State. Okay. All right. So we go from that. Now the Olympic stuff is done. But while you were doing the uh, trying to get into the Olympics uh, with the bobsled team 2005, you're also a personal trainer at that time. Mm -hmm. And you had an office. It was your own business inside of Ford's. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about getting into personal training and what it has meant to your life. I know you've already published your book, uh, which is Cracking the Code to Fat Loss Success. Um, And Chris has got a shot of it right there. Uh, And you've got all the secrets to cracking the code to fat loss success. You have trained so many good athletes. I know you've trained pro athletes as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about writing that book and Give us a couple of the secrets without giving away the book. Basically, writing the book, man, is just really helping individuals uh, help them tap into their own DNA. You know, it's, it's trying to it's trying to let them know that not everyone I ain't gonna say diet, but not everyone plan or meal plan will work for them. Right. So you know, you have to really find what what will work for you, and finding that. Finding that, cracking that code, it really takes time. Um, it's pretty much trial and error. You know, you can't really say, okay, I'm going to jump on this because I think I, I saw this on, on the Internet or I saw this, I Googled this and it said, you know, this will work. But everybody's DNA makeup is different. You know, everybody, everyone's different and things will, um, different meal plans work for different people. Like I had a, I have a client that I've been working with and she would lose a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then I researched this, uh, carb cycle. And so I dug into it a little bit more and then I came up with, you know, a caloric values of different, um, different calories mixed with different, um, macros which is your protein carbs and fats so so many like you know you may be on they may be on a 1500 calorie plan but like days one through three they have you know no carbs then days you know five seven and five seven and you know five seven and two or five seven Five and seven, they may have moderate carbs. Then the other two days, they'll have high carbs. So once I put her on that, she was, she lost so fast, and then she lost so much fat. I had to tell her to stop. I said, let's let's, I'm gonna bump your calories up because you're losing way too fast, you know. And she was loving it. She went from like 194 
now she's hanging at 159. So, like weight is something I, I've always struggled with when I since I was in the military. Once I got out of the military, it seemed to just, you know, I used to gain weight so quickly. And, and I've actually lost 35, 40 pounds over the last two months now. Well, congratulations. Thanks, man. Um, and it's, it's I'm walking three to five miles mm. every day, but I'm eating once a day. Oh. And, and, and it's, the fasting has been great for me, though. You do intermittent fasting? Yeah, I'm just doing the 16 hours of fasting okay. a day. Um, now I'm at 20 hours of fasting, and I eat during a four-hour period, and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, which has worked well for me because I, I got diagnosed with LDA. Okay. Uh, do you, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with LDA, Chris. You probably aren't, but that's large, dumpy ass. So because of my weight gain, this fasting and walking has helped me. What do you do though with somebody who comes to you and says, "Hey, look, I've got hypothyroidism. My I, I gain weight watching people eat Big Macs. I'll put on five pounds if somebody eats a Big Mac around me." You know, you've mm -hmm. had those clients. Mm -hmm. How do you get somebody who? quite honestly, is probably a couch potato. They lie about what they eat, and yeah. they say they can't lose weight, and they've tried everything. What, how much of it do you take is this probably true? And then have you had that, where you had to actually say, okay, and then what's, is there a fix? Well, first, first thing I, I usually try and do is, I do a consultation with them first. After the consultation, I do a, a fitness evaluation. It goes over their baseline fitness levels, how much of that is you reading them? Like, are they telling me the truth? Oh yeah, I can. I can see that, man. Yeah, I can tell when a person says, you know, if I put them on a meal plan, I could tell, you know, they say I'm following it and I'm following it, and I'm looking at them like, I, I can know, look at you. Yeah, you're not following it. I can tell. You know, you can't. You can't fool somebody. I've been. I've, I've been. I've, I've been in the circus. I've been down the street. You can't tell me that. You've been to the show. Yeah, I've you been know how there. Strings work on yeah, the I do, man. Now, now, you know. With that camera on him. I want you all to remember something. This guy's fifty-seven years old. He has a body of a twenty-year-old right now. I mean, that's insane. This guy is close to sixty years old. So I don't think you're gonna fool him. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, and, and it's uh, it's just, it's just accountability, pretty much. Yeah. You know, a person with hypothyroidism. First thing I would do is I would take him through that fitness evaluation first. After that, I would, um, you know, I would, you know, ask them, you know, what are, you know, what are you eating? And they usually they say, you know, I eat pretty good. Uh, how, how many times do you hear a person say, I eat pretty good? What's your pretty good? You know, I got to identify what their pretty good is. And once they tell me or they write it on paper, that's when they actually see and they can identify that I'm not eating enough. You know, so first, you know, if a person with that condition they, you know, I got to see if make sure they if they're on any medication for that. Yeah. You know. And do you see a lot of times when they write that out though, they go, "Wow, I didn't realize I ate that much." Oh yeah. Mhm. Mm I mean, sometimes I got one, the one that lost so much. She has a journal, and she writes her workouts in it. She writes what she eats, and sometimes I'll look at it. But she's been so diligent about just really investing in the process to where I really don't have to question her anymore. You know, she said, "Well, I'm gonna have a cheat meal." I'm like, "Go for it." You know, you know, and, and do you find that the people that are serious about it, you don't need to be diligent with them. They're they're mm -hmm. going to do it for themselves anyway. Yeah, I trust them. You know, but the ones that just lie and say they're doing it and they're not really doing it, and you can look at them and tell they're not doing it, I don't trust them. But but the thing what holds them accountable is when they have to pay for that service. Yeah. 
when they know they got to pay for me to monitor them, they got to weigh in every month. And when they know they got to weigh in, they get on that, they get on that in-body scale. If they if they've been hitting it, they ain't got nothing to worry about. Yeah. If they haven't been, then they're gonna get on that scale. They're gonna be scared. They're gonna be stressed out. Willie, one of the things I've noticed about your business too, innovative strength training, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which if if they want to get to your website, what what's the website called? It's nolimitsinnovative.org. No but limits I'm working on. Yeah, but okay. I have. Let me look. I have a new website. Because one thing. Because this know, one. Go ahead. It's not. I ain't gonna even go there. But let me let me get the. Uh, no, that's okay. No limits. Innovative dot org. Yeah. For now. Mm -hmm. But you know. Well, but we're gonna. I'm gonna get you the new one that works. Okay. We want to make sure they have one that works. That's for sure. Now, if they do, we got up to date stuff on it. Okay. So uh, hold on. Mm -hmm. For the people that are listening to the podcast now, if they're to reach out to you. Uh, is what's the number of the business so they can call you? It's a eight five nine two two one four four seven nine. Eight five nine two two one four four seven nine. Eight five nine two two one four four seven nine. That's Willie Ray, um, or you can find him on Facebook under Ray Fit. Um, one thing I was going to tell you though is I noticed that the clients you have, they mm -hmm. seem to stay with you. Mm -hmm. I I don't. I've seen so many of the clients that you had in the 90s are still with you today. What, what, what do you do to, you know, foster such a strong personal relationship to where you have some of the same clients 20 years, 30 years later? I just show them that commitment. And, you know, I'm, they, you know, they know that they're not just a paycheck. You know, some, when you get a lot of coaches get a lot of clients and they just become a paycheck. With them, you know, it's more personal to me, and you know, we uh, we have fun, you know, we laugh, joke, we kick. I mean, you know, old man Mike with the white mustache, oh, yeah. he still comes. That's I mean, he crazy. travels from Woodford County. He that's still crazy. comes to this day, yeah. four days a week. I got a woman, the one that's lost all that. She lives in Estill County. Wow. She's been trapped doing this for six years. You know, I used to have people that travel from Louisville. You know, so. I mean, I appreciate people that go that distance and travel that far. I got some people that are living in town, they can't even get to get to the training center on time. <laughs> I mean, they 15 minutes away from my new facility and they can't even get here on time. And I got people that live farther distances from they do that are early. Like when I mean early, they're like 15, 30 minutes early. You know, you, you've been in the service you know, to me, being on time is late. Yeah, if you're on time, you're late. Yeah, you're so. 15 minutes always. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's like getting, I had a client this morning, uh, and he always, a few minutes late, he said, man, that school bus, man, I was behind two school buses. I said, dude, I said, you use that excuse. This is the third time you use that excuse. If you know the time you leave, that just school bus is all going to be there. Signs. When they put them out, just hit the gas, because then you can get around them quick. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Don't do yeah. that, folks. They're going to get in trouble and yeah, go to jail. Right. That's right. <laughs> I heard it on the podcast. Um, but but, but I, I think it's just, to me, and not to cut you off, I think it's fascinating that the mm. same people are coming to you, you know, 30 years uh, straight. Because you're not a personal trainer. You're also a motivator. You're mm. a coach. Mm. I've seen you there. It's not like a personal trainer at Planet Fitness and no 
nothing against Planet Fitness, but they hold a clipboard and they're mm. checking off the boxes because mm. I've had them do that with me. With you, they're getting coaching, mm. they're getting education, they're getting a little bit of tough love. That's a lot of that. I, I heard you say to somebody one time, you, you didn't have it today, I'm going to bust you up next week. Yeah. And I remember hearing that thinking, I bet they don't show up next week, <laughs> thinking Willie's going to scare them off. Uh, but but it's I think you you just you foster such a great relationship with your clients. Mm. They know what they're getting and they don't want to leave. Yeah, man, basically I've been in like I said I've been I worked at the Ghost Gyms. I worked at the Body Structures. I worked It's all about man being transparent and authentic, man, cuz I don't have time to be fake. You know, what you see is what you get. Let's like you said tough love. I've coached high school football, high school track and I've been, I've had one of those coaches that if you get, you get a scratch, you get an injury or something at practice, you know, they say, throw some dirt on it, get back in, you know, but you know, it's like either you in or you out, you know, when you, I have to tell people that, you know, when people come to me, they come, either you come to get in the best shape of your life or you just come to goof off. If you come in to do that, this is not the place for you. Now, I do have people that come for general fitness or and I do have some that come for like strength training. And, you know, it's a difference. And most people come to burn calories, but then that's general fitness. Yeah. You know, and they're not looking to do the strength training. And, right. You know, the strength training portion is you working on skill, you working, learning how to foam roll, you working on that manual massage to get your limbs looser and more mobile to where you can move better in those skill strength training positions. A lot of people, they come in, they set their clock, and they're just all concerned about how many calories they burn at the end of their workout. They're not looking to learn. You know, they're looking to go through the motions. And they're going to gain that weight back, too. Oh, yeah. They won't. If you're not seeing any improvement, any progression in your weight, that's like you're, if you're using a certain weight, if you're not seeing any growth in that, in your weight jumping up each time you come in, you ain't making no progress. You're just there for general, just a general fitness, just a general workout. Because you, you're doing the same weight every time you come in. And those people that are like that, I can't do anything about them if they don't want to change. I want them to change, but I'm going to give them what they came for, which is general. Yeah, most of them not, you know. So I give them what they came for, which is general fitness. Do I like that? Not really, because I want more for them. But the ones that, Shoot, I got the ones that are in my kettlebell class. I mean, those are the renegades. Those are the beasts. Like Mike, 72, 73 years old and still going at it, you know. And, you know, I got probably like 10 people in that group. But those are the ones I coach that actually get it and they listen. And they kind of, I got a few that kind of hold on to everything that I say because they value that. Some, you know, some just don't value that. You know, you may say, well, you know, why do you keep them anyway? Because I want to continue to provide a service for them because they still trust me. And if I can continue to provide a service for them, maybe sooner or later they'll come around. But, you know, as long as I'm continuing to give them what they want, which is that general fitness, that workout to where they can feel good about themselves, work up a good sweat. I mean, I do it. I, I, I don't want to turn anybody away, you know, unless they just if they can't afford it or if they can't take my workouts. Because some of my workouts can be ridiculously hard. Um, 
not to switch too far away from uh, the fitness part of it, how's your daughter doing? Man, she's doing awesome. She's, man, she's Tell me her name again. Riley Ann Ray. She has my mom's middle name. Okay, yeah. And what's she doing now? Because she was a heck of an athlete at like 11. I yeah. remember watching her at the gym. Yeah, jump, like, dragging a sled and everything. up in the yeah. air on top of the little stacks. <laughs> it's stacked, of yeah. Crates. I thought, oh my gosh. Yeah. And then you talk to her and she's, she's like 11. What's she doing now? She is like the premier opera singer at UK. I mean at UofL. Wow, really? She transferred, her and her husband now, transferred from uh, Virginia Tech to UofL, and she opened up this spring as the lead opera singer. And so she is, uh, she's gifted, man. I've got a friend whose wife travels all over the world singing opera. She goes to Russia. Mm -hmm. She go, I mean, just all over the world. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Now, she had to have been a great athlete in high school. What did she, oh, did she, she was in high a, school? Scott County. Okay. She's got went to Scott County and she finished her last year at Great Crossing, the new school yeah. in Scott County. But she was uh, shoot. I started training her at six, at Fords, and she was uh, a distance. She was a, a fourteen hundred meter runner, not sixteen hundred meters, and eight hundred meter and four hundred meter. Wow. And she had a really really good coach, really good coach. Gene, coach Gene Balin. Okay. He's here in Lexington, and he he was a really good coach for her. Yeah. Him and her, her first coach was Pam Raglan, and she went to EK. She was a EKU Hall of Famer, KHSAA Hall of Famer, yeah. and that was her first coach because I wanted her to be a, you know, the sprinter, sure. but I just took, you know, took my hands away from it and said, we got to find you the person that can see your talent and what you need to run because you know how most parents are with their kids. They sure. They want to mold their kids into something that the kids aren't, that there aren't, yeah. you know. So I was like, I don't, I'm going to step away from it. I asked the coach, I said, what do you think she should be running? She's like, oh, she's a miler and 800 meters. She didn't want to hear that. Yeah. But she ended up producing and doing well at it. So then I, and she got her talent singing from her mom. She got her getting athletic ability from me. I can say that much. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Are you still with the same uh Mm -hmm. Woman? Yeah, so, Michelle. Yeah, so uh, you guys together, it's been over 20, 22, 22. It's been, it'll be 23 years. It's been 23 years. Yeah, mm -hmm. and she was in pretty good shape too, though. Mm -hmm. She was a good athlete. Yeah. Because I remember she would come to the gym. Can work she, out some, yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that said, um, let me ask you these quick questions, okay? I'm going to give mm -hmm. you five names. Mm -hmm. And you give me your thoughts on these five names. Just, it doesn't have to be long. Give me 30 seconds, a couple mm -hmm. lines about these people. Okay? Okay, first one. Um, David Goggins. Oh, David Goggins, the motivator, the, the beast. He's a, he's a in your face, I don't care what you think about me. He's a, one thing I can say about him, he's a beast. Yeah, from no no where he when where he came from where he started oh, yeah. from yeah. and how he just persevered i mean that's true i mean one word for him is resilience mm -hmm. perseverance and resilience those two words for him is that makes him up and it's like he has a little chip on his shoulder like you know if you can't oh, no he doesn't what, have a little chip he got two giant chips oh, on yeah. his shoulder yeah he's got a rolodex of of haters that he keeps fresh uh to to fuel his workouts 
Um, but yeah, I just wanted to hear your opinion on him because it was his book, Can't Hurt Me, because I served with Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. I was in a Marine Corps uh, Special Operations Unit, so mm-hmm. I was on the boats with Navy SEALs, um, and uh, I loved his book, and I loved his uh, his attitude about, you know, if if this- you're not exactly how you want to be right now, it's it's either you want it bad enough and you find a way, or you don't and you find an excuse. Yeah, that's it. It's no BS, man. Yeah. No nonsense, no BS with him. Yeah. All right. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I would say he is, he's a legend. He, he's, a le- he's paved the way for a lot of bodybuilders. Um, right, the whole movement. The, oh, yeah. The, yeah. I mean, he paved the way for them and for them to not only be bodybuilders, but for them to get off in the movies. Yeah, and it creates something more than just oh, yeah. an avenue of wealth and revenue for the rest of their life. Yeah. Um, now, I was told by somebody that you went to the Arnold Classic years ago in Columbus, and you were at a booth, and they had these like giveaway tension things, and they said if you could do it for so long or so many reps, they'd give you a free set, and that you were there... And this person saw you do something at this booth, and if you did it long enough or like a bunch of reps with it, that they would give you a set free, and you did it. Anybody remember that? My wife would probably remember because we used to go to the Arnold Arnold Classic a lot. And I'm trying to remember what was that? Being at a booth and winning something at a like they were giving away because you did it at the booth. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what 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 it what was it? <laughs> it was like some like like the tension. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, Mike Allison, who's the vice president of baseball here, mm-hmm. uh, the team, he was there apparently, and he saw you do it, and you got this giveaway for free. Gosh. So he was telling me that story today when he heard your name. Oh so man! I thought I'd share that with you that he remembers I, that. I remember doing something at one of the booths, but I completely yeah. forgot what it was. That may have been it. Yeah, he said you got some free giveaway. So I thought I'd bring it up and you know, I thought Oh man, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all right, so um how about this name? Lou Ferrigno. Oh man, Lou Ferrigno, he was he's another one, the incredible Hulk. He's a legend as well. I mean, he was secondary to Arnold. And I think he uh him and Arnold were neck to neck, but I think he he got his shot. You know, he was kind of like in the in the shadows of Arnold because he wasn't as back then. He wasn't as famous as Arnold back then, but you know, he was known for his you know his great physique, his determination and drive to beat Arnold. And Arnold used to play mind games with him. Oh yeah, but you know the, the documentary. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he just he messes with him. Yeah. Um, all right. Lee Haney. He's another legend. As far as Olympian, he's another legend. Um, That's won, I think, seven Olympias um, before uh, Dorian Yates. But he's another true example. He he didn't get off into the movies, but um, he's another one that carried the torch after, you know, after Arnold, later on after Arnold did, and won the multiple you know, Olympian titles 
because after Arnold, you know, there was other people that won Olympia, but they didn't host, you know, multiple titles, you know, like they did. And the last one, Ronnie Coleman. Oh my gosh, he is, he's one of the ones I, I, I love. I love that guy. Um, one word for him is he's huge. Yeah. He was huge, but I hate that, you know, what's happened to him now, how he's in the walker. Uh, he, you know, he'll know those walkers. Yeah, so, yeah, because, I mean, he was a power lifter. Yeah. And, you know, he just blew his back out at one point and kind of still pushed through it. But, you know, it just ended up the multiple surgeries that he had, it got worse and worse and worse. I think, uh, I, I think his chiropractor really wasn't doing much for him. You know, if you saw the documentary on him, his chiropractor wasn't doing much for him. I just think they were taking his money. I think they were taking his money. Yeah, I did um, watch the documentary. It's kind of why his name is on the list with him. Mm. Um, but he, he started, he got his own supplement business. He's doing yeah. well. He, he still goes to the gym at, you know, four you know four or five in the morning. Yeah. He gets around, you know, he don't let that stop him. You know, um, one of the big things that I saw in your in your notes that that I reviewed, and one of the things that I think is so important that is wasted on young people today but david goggins believe it or not in his book can't hurt me mm -hmm. spent the better part of a chapter talking about this was how important it is to stretch he stretches two hours every night oh shoot man he feels, and, feels, feels good to sleep though yeah but mm -hmm. he talks about how important it is to stretch and he said when he started really stretching meaning an hour a night two mm -hmm. hours a night then he realized how unhealthy his body was. Even though he was physically in shape, it was not, mm. he wasn't, he wasn't, his agility wasn't good, his mobility wasn't good with muscles. But once he started stretching, he realized he didn't get injured, mm -hmm. he didn't get sore, nothing. Talk about how important it is to stretch and have agility, especially as you get older. Well, as, as you know, as we age, uh, I ain't gonna say as we get older, I say as we age, our, our, our ligaments and tendons and our muscles, they kind of shrink. Mm -hmm. They get tighter and our muscles shrink. So it's important, you know, not only is stretching is important, it's in stretching. Strength training is important as, as well because we strengthen the muscles. As we strengthen the muscles, we strengthen those, those ligaments and those tendons. Because you have the, um, the ligaments or the tendons are you know connected from muscle to bone <clears throat> so the ligaments are pretty much they're go ligaments go from bone to bone which keep keep our muscles stabilized so as we elongate those muscles and stretch mobility activation like foam rolling and stuff like that we get into foam rolling which is manual massage that kind of uh, works the the fascia tissue which is surrounds encases the mu surrounds the muscle so it loosened that up to where you're able to move and have more elasticity and mobility in that joint, in that area. So stretching, and that helps with lengthening the muscle so you can get in the good positions to stretch and lengthen that muscle. Uh, it's, it's good because, you know, foam rolling actually warms that area up to prepare you to stretch and to move and get in those positions a lot better because you really can't, you know, stretch a cold muscle without hurting yourself. Because if you go right and stretching yourself while you cold, you ain't gonna be able to get down 
low enough. But if your muscles are kind of loose and warmed up, it's going to allow you to get in that, you know, get in that full range of motion a lot better to where you can hold it for 20 to 30 seconds to where it's going to help you. And it helps you sleep, too, because it, it kind of helps when you open those areas up and kind of release, release some of that serotonin, not serotonin, but it kind of release, release some of that synovial fluid in that joint would help nurtures it and all this and things like that. And it also help increases range of motion and blood flow. Uh, you get more blood flow, you get more elasticity, more There's elasticity. It's worse than getting woken up by a Charlie horse. Oh yeah. It's the worst. Yeah, I've had that a lot. Um, Willie Ray, Willie Blakemore Ray. I can't tell you how, how much it And let me see me. if, let me see if I get this real quick. Hold on. Yeah, I can't tell you how much it meant to me to have you on today. Uh, Willie Ray. Uh, he's a personal trainer, personal coach. Um, you can find Willie Ray. Okay, I got um, it. In Lexington, 859-221-4479. Um, get a shot of the book there, Cracking the Code to Fat Loss Success. That is the road to getting healthy. He outlines throughout the book the secrets. Each secret is in there uh, to cracking the code. You can find that book where at? You can find it on Amazon. Amazon. And then okay. uh, my second one is also on Amazon. And what's uh, that one Fit for Life. Fit for Life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then and the website. Harvey and Marilyn Diamond, Fit for Life, Willie Ray's version. Because mm -hmm. there is one. It's several. It's 20, it's 20 other authors in that book. We're co-authors in that book. Okay. And I have a chapter in that book. Okay. And go ahead. And then the website is www.rayfit.life. Rayfit.life. Got it. Ray Fit, R A Y F I T dot yep. life, L I F E, and 859 221 4479. Willie, hey, um, I've known you for 30 years. I know the best commercial you've ever had produced uh, was at my fingertips. It was, it was, it was that one. I was going to have you, yeah, man, I was going to have you do that one again. I still got that, man. Yeah, man. I still got that yeah, video. That thing, that thing is awesome. Flip. Yeah. Flip. Yeah, a little flip and, on there. Yeah, and this but, is, hold on, this is the book. I'm going to show it to you. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, uh, okay, Fit for Life, your ultimate guide to health, fitness, and nutrition featuring 15 top health, top health experts from around the world. Um, so look for that one as well, Fit for Life, and also uh, Cracking the Code to Fat Loss Success, The Road to Getting Healthy, uh, both of those uh, with R Willie Ray, one written by Willie Ray, the other one featuring Willie Ray. There you go. Um, All right. But again, hey, thanks so much for doing this. Man, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Just taking the time of your day to do it. Um, I think fitness is something, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not just for people with expendable income, although it does take some income mm -hmm. sometimes. But, you know, just going back to what we said, if, if, it's, if it's worth it to you, you'll mm -hmm. find a way. And if it's not, you'll find an excuse. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of people out there, I think, are not trying to become pro athletes. They're trying to live long enough to walk their daughter down the mm. aisle. And if you want to do that, mm. you know, that's why people like Willie Ray are around. So yeah, you got to be proactive. You got to not gotta reactive. Yeah. 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 Uh, if you're, if you're reactive in fitness, uh, you, you're in a bad spot because something's happened. Yep. You have to recover. Mm -hmm. You don't, you, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's like a car. It's preventive maintenance, right? Yeah. You just, mm -hmm. it's preventive maintenance. So you don't have to have too many repairs along the way, so to speak. Hey, man, thanks so much. God bless you. So good to see you, man. Well, good to see you, too. Good to hear you and Michelle and the, and the girl. We're oh, yeah. They're all still together. That's, that's fantastic, yeah. man. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. One, two, three, four.
Thank you for listening to Game Changers with Steve Tresler. Game Changers is produced by Chris Bryant. For more great content like this, be sure to subscribe and click the notification bell for new episodes.